This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back, creeps. Hey, y'all. How is everybody doing? It's been two weeks since our last episode. Hmm. Over two weeks, actually. Doesn't feel like two weeks. No, we actually just had like really busy couple of weeks, so it was completely unintentional, which is why we didn't say it's going to be two weeks. Uh, so apologies for that. I only kind of realized yesterday as I was finishing up this, I was like, oh shit, it's been two weeks. Mm. Uh, I also need to make a public apology. Uh oh. Yeah. So um, that awful joke that I made in the first episode in regards to Bill living with um, a bunch of headhunters in Borneo. I think it was Borneo that was the island that he went to live on anyway when he was a kid after he ran away from the army. Okay. Or I said something like, these aren't the kind of headhunters that are going to find your job. And it turns out that actually wasn't even my joke. The uh, parapsychologist, Kieran O'Keefe, made that very same joke in the last episode of The Witch Farm. And I just like filed it away for bad jokes of the future. So apologies, everybody. Oh, yeah. was it like uh, a racist thing? No, I just stole his joke. Oh, OK. <laughs> oh, plagiarism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, got it. It was unintentional. Oh, OK. Um, But now as I was listening to that episode, I was like, what a dick. What a dick. This is why it's like really like bad, a bad idea to listen to other podcasts that are in the same field as you yeah, if you're making it. That's why I generally it. don't like as well. Yeah. This one was an exception because it was like a primary source, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, this week's recommendation of like shit that I watched was Swarm on Amazon Prime. We're going to watch that together. It's only seven episodes. But it's like Donald Glover made it. Uh, I had no idea who Donald Glover was until recently. Isn't that Childish Gambino? Yeah, yeah, oh. it's him. But like, turns out he's a dark, funny bastard. Like, I mean, his, did... he's got the darkest of humor. Like, I, I, I can see that. Do you remember watching his video? Yeah, yeah. The, the music video? This is America? Yeah. Yeah. So that definitely translates into his... I don't know whether he wrote this or just produced it or what, but it was really, really cool. Mm. Um, highly recommend that. And again, it's only seven uh, episodes. It's very cool. Cool. Um, then I watched Leave, which was on Shudder. It was okay. I'm not going to say like, you know, go sell your car just to get tickets to this movie or anything. But it was definitely, it passed the time. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was, it was fine. Yeah, in the last couple of weeks, anyway, why we kind of lost track of time, we were house-sitting for someone, um, a friend of Dulce's a couple of weeks ago. And the night we, the first night we stayed there, um, it was like a really stormy night and there's lots of windows in this house. So normally I'd be like, this is fucking lovely. Um, 
but the rain was like waking me up and it wasn't a familiar house. So I was lying there awake, listening to like the storm was right on top of us. You were passed out. Oh, yeah. Like it was the room was like lighting up with the lightning and stuff like that. And the next thing I just hear this voice and it sounded like music from a bar. Like, actually, if you can hear music right now, that's coming from a bar down the street. And it was like that at first over all the thunder and stuff. I was like, oh, weird. And then I was like lying there waiting. And then it got louder. And I was like, wait a minute. It's inside the house. And it was the fucking A-L-E-X-A. So I don't trigger anybody else's. <laughs> just started playing completely on its own. Like full blast, top volume, three o'clock in the morning. I think it was 3.02. And I like had to go downstairs in this strange house and turn it off. And I wasn't even like, I was half expecting to see a person. Like just like, oh, he came home early or something like, I don't know. But then when there was nobody there, it was more just like, oh, fine, whatever. I'm just going to turn this off and go back to bed. But then I was like just lying there waiting for the music to come back on for ages. And then a couple of nights ago, I think maybe on Monday, I think I heard your high heeled visitor. Shut up. Where? Yeah. Out here. Again. In, yeah. So. I was trying to explain it to my coworker because like I heard it. I was lying in bed annoyed that I couldn't get to sleep. And then I heard it and I was like, oh, it's just Porkchop messing around with Porkchop. With her high heels. Yeah. <laughs> but Porkchop is at the end of the bed. And then I was like, OK, no, I definitely did hear that. And then I was like going through what it could have been in my head. Like oh, maybe it was the ice machine or something. But no, it definitely wasn't the ice machine. It was like a a very snappy sound mm -hmm. and there's nothing else that I can think of that it was. It sounded like it was just inside the living room before you come into the little hallway to the bathroom in our bedroom. But what I heard, it sounded like just a snippet of it as if somebody had recorded someone walking across the room, but only played back like a second of it. Mm. Yeah. Which I thought was weird, but I'm almost 100% sure it wasn't the ice machine. <laughs> it could have been gunshots. There's a lot of those around here. No, 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 no. This was right here. Oh, okay. And yeah, I've heard enough gunshots now to know. What they sound like. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that was it. That, that was the spooky updates. Anyway, have you got a tarot card for us? Yes. Today is a good one. And I was really feeling it today um, at work. I had the opportunity of assisting in a remodel, not, um, it was voluntary. Yeah. Like I just, I said, you know what? I'm going to go help. Great time. Yeah. Why not? Um, so today's 10 of cups reversed. Share your joy and love today. Let your heart lead you to truly express yourself. Whatever you put out into the world, whether it it's a piece of art or writing, a heartfelt conversation with a friend, or an invitation to share some pleasure will cause happiness and love to multiply. Wow. I know. I was like, oh my God, so fitting. Yeah, that's really nice. Mm -hmm. Deadly. Yeah. Oh, and also before I get started, for those of you wondering why I was in that bloody bathroom the other day, the blood covered bathroom with the dude lying in the bathtub, if you, you follow us on one. Instagram, you know the one. Um. That was a part of a photo shoot. Another reason why we actually kind of got delayed. Um, I was helping out a friend and it was very cool. So keep an eye out on our Instagram because I will be sharing those pictures as soon as they go live. 
um, which I think will probably be the day this comes out or the day after this comes out. Um, so yeah, it was very cool, very fun, and uh, hopefully we'll get to do more. And if we do, I'll keep posting on our Instagram because it was pretty grim, and we have some very dark ideas that we would like to expand on. So we left off last week on something that was pretty horrific. Uh, well, two weeks ago, Lawrence being sent off to live in that weird boarding house, halfway house kind of thing, even though he was only still in high school. This was a heartbreaking decision for Bill. Obviously, it was his only son. Oh, no, not his only son, but his eldest son. And Bill actually said, like, it was the hardest thing he'd ever had to do. Now, this understandably left some people just straight up not liking Bill and Liz. I actually got at least one comment on Instagram. Not sure who it was from. <laughs> and they deleted it or Instagram took it down. I'm actually not sure. But by the time I got to open it, um, but I got to read the first couple of lines on my watch and it just straight up said, I don't, I'm not enjoying this series because I don't like the people. <laughs> and I was like, okay, fair enough. Fair. Yeah. I mean, it's why I didn't like watching It's Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, that, that could get us cancelled right there. Just saying that. I don't care. <laughs> um, But anyway, I decided I was going to start this episode by telling everyone that Lawrence thrived after leaving Hale Fanog. Mm. Hale Fanog. I can't even talk today. Um, I personally don't think Bill and Liz are bad people, but Lawrence has still to this day, as far as I know, never spoken about what he experienced. Like maybe he mentioned it to Bill briefly, but he never like spoke in public again, as far as I know. Does, does, had, it, had he ever expressed like negative feelings towards his father? No, and like, again, this is according to Bill, but um, supposedly he told Bill that leaving the house was the best thing he had ever done. Mm. And he like thanked his dad or maybe not thanked him, but just expressed gratitude for like going through that very tough decision on his behalf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, afterwards as well, he would actually visit Hale Fanog. Um, I think like after the dust settled and stuff like that. And Liz and Lawrence's relationship was also saved, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. Like as he became an adult and stuff, they were all still very close. Um, don't know how that is to this day, but it was always sibling like he never like he still had his own mother. So it's not like right. he's going to get any better than that. And uh, yeah, he would come out and hang out in Hale Fanog and like play with his baby siblings and stuff like that. And Bill and Liz grew to like really look forward to these visits because he now brought this light with him that Hale oh. Fanog seemed to lack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it mentioned in the book, again, the book Testimony by Mark Chadburn, like the whole atmosphere of Hale Fanog would lift up while he was there. But then when he would leave, Bill and Liz were left with this just crushing oppression again. Yeah. But... We all know that this story didn't end with Lawrence leaving like that. It, this is not like just me giving a quick recap and that's the end of the story. It just kind of changed shape again, uh, like learn new tricks almost. And one of the reasons why I like this particular case so much, aside from the amount of information that we actually have out there, is that Bill and Liz tried multiple different religious groups. If one didn't work, they'd move on to the next and just keep hold out, holding out hope. 
Um, and I think that's how Hale Fanog got the title of the most exercised house in Britain, according to the BBC. Anyway, must have some killer biceps. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, uh, as far as I can remember, the last group that attended the house were the spiritualists. Remember the Dutch couple that came out and they erected a oh, wall? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They erected. So, after the spiritualists had erected this psychic barrier, the activity had stopped for around six weeks, I think, before it seemed to be brought back by the rain, which I still think is one of the coolest things ever. Like, you know what I mean? The magic came with the rain. And I would love to find out if there's other like similar situations like that. Like if you have, if you, the listener, have heard of similar stories or situations like that, let me know. Um, But this time it wasn't the footsteps and the smells. I actually think that that had stopped completely. It was like that chapter is over now. Here's the new new and improved paranormal whatever liz was seeing glimpses of the old woman throughout the house mm. like five or six times as far as i know but the constant overwhelming dark oppressive feeling was really dragging them down that was like the main draining thing throughout this whole thing liz was also five months pregnant at this point with their third child yes well i mean his third her second. no okay okay so spoiler but Liz was five months pregnant at this point with one of their children. <laughs> I can't remember which. They had tried Catholics and spiritualists. So this time they called in an Anglican vicar who sent them out another fella who was like quite dramatic and excited to be there. And he counted out three human spirits and one inhuman. Which this would fit the bill for a lot of people coming to the house to try it out or to try and solve it. But I will put in a little caveat there uh bill went to the papers multiple times because they were so desperate and back in the 1990s it's not like you could literally just call ghostbusters you know what i mean you had to put word out there and they took a risk doing that like but it also it paid off for them anyway so these spirits one was the old lady obviously there was two young men and something else the Anglican dramatics seemed to do the trick because this time, after this exorcism, they had almost three months worth of respite from the activity. Although, from their previous experience, they kind of knew that it was still going to come back. Um, they It was like the physical apparitions and stuff would stop and the sounds maybe would stop, but they just had this feeling like it was still there, like waiting to just come back. Mm -hmm. I think that was, again, that was the biggest head fuck for them. Or maybe they were just, like, bracing themselves. Yeah. And yeah. maybe that's why it felt oppressive, because you're just bracing yourself for something. Just on edge all exactly. the time. Like, yeah. yeah. And again, like we've said this, I hate repeating myself so much, but we, in almost every story now at this point, we've said that is what sucks the life out of people and brings them to the point of, like, not being able to take it anymore. But when it did come back... In November of 1990, Bill phoned up the vicar again and he came back and said prayers and, quote, bound the troublesome spirit. But the activity kicked off again just a couple of days later and the vicar told him he was all out of ideas, which I appreciate the honesty. He was like, look, I've I've read my book. I don't know like, what else I, mean, I can do. They'd have to keep him on retainer, probably. And that's the way it gets. Yeah. For Again, for a lot of people mm -hmm. and with these as well for certain people. Yeah. In the meantime, Bill had actually found a picture of the landlord's mother, Mrs. Holborn, 
in his studio. And when he showed Liz, she confirmed that this was the lady that she had been seeing throughout the house the whole time. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah. But if you remember, the um, the landlord was like, nope, nothing weird ever happened here. Don't know what you're talking about. You're mm -hmm. all fucking insane. Let me put my head back in the sand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as well, the latest development was actually taking place outside the house. So while she was preparing food for Ben one day, this was like the latest yeah, development in the paranormal uh, phenomena that was going on. While Liz was preparing food for Ben one day, the baby, she looked out the kitchen window and saw someone standing in the trees watching her. Gross. Yeah. Liz ran out, heavily pregnant, oh. and shouting at the trespasser. But of course, when she got there, there was nobody there. Mm -hmm. I'd like, But she was cognizant enough to look around for like footprints, trampled grass, anything like that. Like it was a heavily wooded area. No sign of anyone. She would go on to see this thing in the same spot, like time and time again. But it just became fleeting enough that like she would think she saw something that she would look up scared. And then, of course, there's nothing there over and over again. And then she would see like figures moving between the trees, just caught out of the corner of her eye. Um, and for whatever reason, this is what the, the thing that like gets under my skin with this story, I think. It goes back to like my own house. I didn't grow up in the wilderness or anything, but at night we have like a big kitchen window and like you just couldn't see anything other than your own reflection in it. Do you know what I mean? So as a kid, I'd be like doing the dishes or well, probably not doing the dishes, making food or something. And I would just be looking at my own reflection and be freaked out by like who could possibly be looking in at me. So, so the you fact think that that's these what's going actually, on? Well, no, I think these people actually had something looking in at them. And that's just like my worst fucking fear. Oh, <laughs> Realize, you know what I mean? Mine yeah. is always like whenever we're driving in the car and I'm looking in people's windows and I'm seeing something like just staring back out at me. Really? Yeah. That's why I don't look. Like, something like expecting you kind of. Yeah. Like something just standing still in like a windowsill and watching me like watch, like look in the window. Interesting. But only at night. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> well, anyway. It was her second child Liz was pregnant with. Liz had her second child, Rebecca. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, on December. I thought you were saying like that's what was out in the woods. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? The child, I forgot. <laughs> no, um, I just couldn't remember where we were in the timeline. Mm. So Liz had her second child, Rebecca, on December 19th, 1990. And unlike with Ben, the birth went smoothly and relatively stress-free. They were back home after just one night in the hospital. Then... And actually, it was <laughs> uh, when Liz came home, it was Bill, her mom and his mom. And Bill didn't get along with her mom and her mom didn't get along with Bill's mom. <laughs> and they were like helping take care of things. And Liz came home with this newborn baby and she was like, just please fucking leave. Like, <laughs> everybody get out. But her mom did say that like she was having like homicidal thoughts, mm. like really dark thoughts. Mm -hmm. And like the whole time she was in the house. But as literally on the drive home, she was like, Jesus Christ, that was like, not like me to have like, yeah, sure. Yeah. I, the guy pisses me off, but like, I don't yeah. want to fucking stab him in the eye with a scissors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, get it. Yeah. Like, no, like, I, I I mean, like, I don't get homicidal thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get not having them. I can yeah, 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 that. yeah. So <laughs> she did find it strange and like mentioned it to Liz. I don't know whether it was at the time or like years later. 
But again, just more verification. Then, just a few days after Christmas, as Liz was hauling the new baby in a carry cot and bending a pushchair and a load of groceries or Jesus. whatever else mothers used to do back in the day. And juggling balls. Yeah, like playing everything. Playing a harmonica. She walked in the front door and into the hallway of the house. And as she turned around, she she saw a seven foot tall male shadow figure just walk past the kitchen door. Jesus. Now, this was the first time she had seen anything other than the old lady in the house. Damn. And the old lady didn't necessarily terrify her. She yeah. just left her feeling really sad. And yeah, yeah. this thing was the darkness, yeah, yeah, yeah. basically, that mm -hmm. she had been feeling. And she said that by now, like her reaction was almost numb. Mm. So she was very matter of fact in the sense that she walked straight into the kitchen. She knew it wasn't going to be there. Um, She put the baby down, unloaded whatever she was carrying, picked the baby back up and went outside and sat in the barn waiting for Bill to come home. Smart. Yeah, but the baby couldn't have been more than like a couple of weeks old at this stage. And right. it was like snowing outside. And so she, the three of them were just sitting there shivering, waiting Aww. for Bill to come back. So as calm as Liz's reaction had been, like in the moment, she was not waiting around to see anything else. Like, like that's how you know it's real. Like you are scared. You're out in the cold yeah. with your children. And like even just the the motherly aspect of, we'll put this stuff down and then we're getting out of here. Like it's very yeah, yeah, matter yeah. of fact. Like, yeah, business. But when Bill did come back, they packed their bags and they left. Good. Yeah. So they went and stayed with Liz's mom for a good six or seven months. Damn. Like this thing had almost broken them at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I'm sure like having such another, uh, such a young baby again, they were probably like, we can't do this again. Seriously. A certain amount of strangeness definitely seemed to follow them to Liz's mom's house. Nothing, I don't think like necessarily evil, but um, it just kind of like rubbed off like that spiritual hangover mm. right, that we talk about. You know, me and you always talk about <laughs> But no, in these situations, I'm actually a strong talk. <laughs> Yeah. I'm a strong believer in it. Like when you go looking for these things, stuff might not necessarily happen like at the ghost hunt, but when you come home, like a couple of odd things, harmless usually, might happen around your house. Anyway, the things that happened in Liz's mother's house was random reoccurring pools of water in the bathroom, just like the black monk of Pontefract, mm -hmm. and I think Enfield as well, like very common poltergeist activity. And it probably would have seemed harmless and completely unrelated to anyone like looking from the outside in. But to Liz and Bill, this was like a surefire sign that they were still being persecuted and followed by this thing. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the strangest things, though, was a random piece of jewelry that showed up in Liz's mother's living room. It appeared to be a necklace pendant, but the necklace itself was missing. It was about a half an inch long, oval in shape, blackish green and ancient looking. It actually looked like something that would have come from Egypt, ancient Egypt, mm -hmm. judging by the design. And naturally, Liz's mother assumed it belonged to one of them. So she just picked it up and then showed it to them later on. Just like, here's your hippie jewelry. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't know what this was doing in the living room, but they're convinced that there's no way... Like, there was nobody in there before. You know, it just appeared out of nowhere, this thing. Whose was it? We never find out. Weird. But, so Egypt seems to be a recurring theme in this story. Okay, But, remember? like, did, did the mom have, like, friends that came over and visited and shit? 
Yeah, but like not that day, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And it was in a place that was quite obvious that like middle of the floor kind of stuff. Okay. And when she showed it to Bill and Liz, Bill picked it up like, what the fuck? And he got an electric shock. Mm. A, apparently quite a strong shock from it. And like I said, Egypt seems to be a recurring theme in this whole story. Um, It's where they went, you know, for like a bonding trip when Bill and Liz first got together with Lawrence, remember? Mm-hmm. They did have a spooky experience there. Um, And then there's also possibly a tie over with Bill's like great auntie being a member of the Egyptologists who actually uncovered Tutankhamun's tomb. Okay. Which is just like very cool, but nobody could uh, verify that. Anyway, jumping back to the Witch Farm podcast, somebody, possibly Kieran O'Keefe, the skeptical parapsychologist who I very much respect, he made a really interesting point. So it's no secret that the ancient Egyptians used to worship cats and... Right, as you should. Yeah. Yeah. But also dogs, actually, which I only found out. Yeah. Anyway, they found when they unearthed all these tombs and stuff, they found literally tons, like thousands of mummified cats. Mm. So when people started to explore the tombs, they would find them. And someone figured out that these mummified cats made great fertilizer. Oh. So what did they do? Ship a load of these ancient Egyptian cat mummies back over to Britain. They sent them over to Garden Ridge. Garden Ridge, that's where, <laughs> that's where my granny does her uh, does her garden shopping. Shout out to Paul, who is the manager over there and a good friend of mine. But no, so they shipped a lot of these ancient cat mummies back over to Britain uh, to be put to use in the fields. Weird. Yeah, I like. I know there was a lot of them, but like, yeah. surely there was not a, as many cat mummies as there was cow shit in Britain. That's such a random you know, ass thing to do. Yeah. And like, why? Like, why not just fucking leave them where they are? Britain. Yeah. Talking to you, Britain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, that seems like really unnecessary and like a waste of money yeah. to do. It's like they're, it's like a pointed thing to do. It's like, well, these are our cat mummies now. Yeah. And, uh, We're going to use them for our begonias. Yeah. <laughs> and according to uh, another podcast that I was listening to, completely unrelated, it's a comedy podcast. Yeah, apparently there's evidence of like puppy farms breeding puppies in ancient Egypt purely to birth the puppies, mummify them and bury them with (gasps) like noble dead. So I can only assume that the cats were the same thing. My God. Anyway, back to Kieran O'Keefe. A lot of these cats would have been buried with offerings, like necklaces wrapped around them and stuff like that. Oh, like, sorry, I'm mummifying you. No. Here's a pearl necklace. Not even that. It's. This is to signify that you are like a royal cat, like belonging to this royal pharaoh, you know, who you are being buried with Uh or something. Anyway, I'm assuming. But a lot of these random Egyptian artifacts ended up turning up in farmers fields for years, probably still today. Like if you went out to a field in Wales and dug deep enough, you're going to find ancient Egyptian relics. Wow. Yeah, completely out of place, all because a hundred and something years ago, people were like, Throw that in a field, sure. Put a load of shit in it and see what happens. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so the pendant itself, although seeming to appear of its own volition, wasn't quite as far-fetched as initially thought. But still very strange, nonetheless. <laughs> like, I, in my head, I'm like, I guess it could literally have been stuck to somebody's boot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they yeah. had been out walking the dog. Or it could have walked in all smug like this. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Walk into the house like that. 
But either way, it's a strange occurrence and a strange thing to find. And especially considering like, you know, this weird Egyptian theme that keeps popping up and remember this for later. But like I said, Bill, Liz and Lawrence did have that weird spooky experience when they were on holidays a few years before. Mm. They like they got to the tomb. I don't know whose tomb it was, but they they got up really early and beat all of the all of the other tourists. So they had it to themselves and they just walked on in. This was also like 30 something years ago, so it probably wasn't as early. No, like <laughs> probably wasn't as um, organized as it would be today. You mm, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot more lax in what you could just ah, walk yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But while they were in there, they just started to see these weird lights and stuff. I might get into it on the Patreon. I'll look up the exact thing that happened. It was nothing major, but they all got freaked out and they ran out of the place. It's pretty lit. Really? <laughs> 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 it just added more fuel to the fire and like more possible reasons as to why this was happening in the first place that people started to think oh maybe something followed us back from there or you know whatever while they were staying in Liz's mother's house Liz got the number of a David Homewood another vicar an evangelist I think now I don't really know the difference between like evangelists and baptists and stuff like that in my head, it's just you're Catholic or you're Protestant because that's what I was brought up with. But I think these dudes were like pretty hardcore. So I will say that in David's defense, he was very supportive. And I do believe that he was only trying his best like for these people. But he, like I said, he was hand down the most like this is the devil coming into your house. And this is why we need to get in there and get rid of it. But uh, they he did. He convinced them like to like crossover I guess mm. like, he baptized them and stuff but they were very reserved convert in convert <laughs> so <in> crossover <laughs> uh, they evolved into um, evangelists but no they, they as much as they respected the religion and enjoyed it mm -hmm. they were still like reserved in terms of like not going whole hog in like oh it's Satan and we need to get him out they were yeah. just like okay cool yeah let's go with it live as holy as we can and see what happens kind of thing. They're like Satan, you say? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> but for David, like, it was just Satan, the Dark Lord himself, and yeah. he was there wreaking havoc on the rich family. Yeah. David spent a good deal of time talking over the phone with both Bill and Liz and, like, hanging out at Liz's mother's place, getting to know, like, the family and, like, preparing for what was to come. He spent a good few weeks uh, like fasting and I don't know, like just being a bit extra, honestly. Um, I think like just bread and water during the day and all this mm -hmm. kind of crap. Mm -hmm. But he also convinced, like I said, Bill and Liz to get baptized. And uh, like they were finally starting to feel some solace. Like they really had faith in this this guy, maybe not the whole religion, but David in particular. Yeah. And then finally, one day in July of 1991, they decided they were ready. David had this helper lady called Anita, who was actually American, and she had been a Satanist. I love that reference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so she was a Satanist. So apparently David had saved her and was like, you know, this is how you, how would you catch a thief using another thief mentality? Okay. So yeah, whatever. Either way, she was his helper. Sure. And somewhere near the house on this day in July of 1991, 
they pulled over and they were like praying together in the car before going in for the attack. Apparently, they spent two and a half hours sitting in the car praying with Bill in the back. Mm. Like two and a half hours, man. Like that's, that's a long time. After six months worth of like supposedly fasting and building up to this. Yeah. But when they were finally really ready to go and kick this thing's ass, they had Bill jump back into his car so they could follow him back to the house. And Bill was keeping an eye on his rearview mirror the whole time. And they were there, they were there, fine. And then as he pulled down the driveway, they weren't behind him. So he started to get worried, like it had been about 10 minutes. And then finally they showed up looking like pale, physically exhausted, like they had just had an accident or something. The fuck? Yeah, but like the car was fine. They were just absolutely shooketh. Why? Is my notes. <laughs> Bill had missed the party, man. The big dog, the devil, Satan himself had attacked Dave and Anita in the car. Bruh. Dave was overcome by a sudden tightening in his chest and was forced to pull over. But they prayed and the feeling went away. And Anita claimed that they both heard a voice that could only have been Lord, the Lord, Lord God himself say it is finished spoiler alert it wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> but <laughs> from a skeptic point of view were they like all right we're done we're gonna go home now because of that <laughs> i mean almost okay yeah it was like they basically believed no like the devil had tried to get them before they got him mm. it's like a sabotage mm. uh but you know because they had god's almighty power they were able to, you know, fight back and that was it. It was done. But they would still need to go in, like, do a quick recon around the house. But from a skeptical point of view, it sounds to me like David had worked himself up so much that he actually had a very, very real panic attack. I believe it. Yeah. Like, and I speak from personal experience. I've had maybe two full-blown panic attacks before in my whole life. Mm. And the first one I ended up going to the hospital after I was like, my heart is going to fall out. I don't know what is happening. But yeah, like tightening of the chest and feeling like you're going to pass out, heart racing, these kind of, like temperature fluctuating, all this kind of stuff. It's, it's a panic attack. But I think asking Anita to pray with him calmed him down and then the feeling passed. So this is my PSA for the week. If you are having a panic attack, this is a great way to calm yourself down. Like, um, or even just feeling like a panic attack could be coming on. What, pray? Pray, yeah. Like use your mantra, whatever, like relaxing, calming words work for you. Like meditate and it will ground you again. You know what I mean? Have mm. something to eat as well. I feel like a lot of people do that. But yeah, pray your balls off, whatever works for you, you know? Mm. So I do think Mr. Her father Homewood had a panic attack. Mm. Anyway, they get to Hale Fanog and Bill agreed that the place definitely felt a bit better, a bit lighter in general. But David wanted to rid the house of all evil or potentially evil objects. And you know what the most evil thing of all is? Metal music. Knowledge. Ah. Books. Knowledge. Art. Get this stuff out of here. That's the <laughs> devil. Do not educate yourself. Yeah. So they literally did. They walked around. Bill supposedly had a very cool book selection. <laughs> um, he had books on the occult and paranormal mm. that actually sounded pretty cool. But like also just stuff like books on ancient Spanish and etymology and stuff like like just mm. very like not even new wave, just like somebody who wanted to be educated right. about different ways of living. Mm -hmm. But all this was the devil. 
Ah, of course. So he had to take them out. And like Bill in the book was saying like, I paid 25 pounds for some of these books. <laughs> yeah. Back then, that was half of his rent. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. All these had to go, as well as some of Bill's art that he had spent hours creating. And then like a bunch of other things that they had picked up on their travels, like um, little trinkets and stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. a basically, I think anything that looked a little bit ethnic, mm -hmm. like has to go, that's the devil, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, basically anything David or Anita thought just looked a bit too groovy, baby. Mm. <laughs> everything had to be, <laughs> everything was going to be burned. And for the next few months, things settled down again. But anytime anything happened, they would be on the phone to David straight away to pray. And again, I do feel like he was doing the best that he could or the best that he knew. But... The guys at the witch farm made a very valid point saying that he may have actually been adding to the hysteria. Yeah. Because anytime they heard something drop in the kitchen or anything, he was like, that's the devil and he's coming back for you, son. Yeah. So I bet he like took all the spices with him too. Yeah. Like to, the cooking spices. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Took no. the salt as well. Goran masala. What is this? <laughs> um, Bland food for you. Yeah. A white food diet it is. Plain chicken and mashed potatoes. Anyway, the relationship between Bill, Liz and David seems to become quite dependent at this point. It was like any issue that they had, get on the phone to David, mm. get it sorted. He's our man. So with that, I would like to point out here that as much as I feel like Mark Chadburn's book, Testimony, is a great resource, it, it is for this story. It's well written, non-judgmental, unbiased in terms of beliefs. I do feel like this was heavily influenced by Bill himself. It's very much Bill's perspective, even though Liz like has her own quoted like statements and stuff in she here. She has her footnotes. I mean, like basically you'll have a chapter and then it'll go Bill's testimony and it will be his direct quote, his direct thoughts on what had happened. And then it will have Liz's testimony. Mm. But I feel like there was a lot more of Bill's testimony. Okay. Yeah. But what the witch farm and the TV show that I watched, I cannot think of the name of it. Hellfire Farm from Channel 4's documentary. Um, they actually showed quite well like that Bill was really become, becoming very fond of the drink. Mm. Throughout this whole experience, he was starting to rely quite heavily, by the sounds of things, on drink. Mm -hmm. I don't know the man or the family, so I'm not going to like shit all over him. Like, I think they seem like a regular fine family. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what his relationship to drink was before all of this. Mm-hmm. He also had that very much like he really played the part of the anguished artist. And the kids would go on to say much later that it wasn't unusual to see him with a glass of wine at breakfast. Now, this was towards the end of their time in Hale Fanog. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just didn't want to ignore that part because, you know, everybody's perspective is a little bit different. Mm. So it doesn't seem like Liz really holds it against him or anything. But I will say, like, it was an element that I think played into it. Okay. Potentially. I mean, unless he was like sucking down a bottle at breakfast. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is, is like, if you're going through this paranormal thing, this crazy experience and it's all negative all the time. And then you're waking up every morning with a blister and hangover. Yeah. And two babies to look after no money coming in. You know what I mean? Like that's where I think the paranormal end could have really like taking over everything then like you know what i mean yeah it's like all of your problems are because of this the ghost yeah, yeah. 
nothing to do with the six bottles of wine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it could be vice versa. It's like always on edge. And this is the thing that's going to take the edge off. Yeah. But regardless, the next morning when you're. Yeah. It, it, it just seems like. A, needle, you know yeah. I mean? Yeah. It just could be like a vicious cycle. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I just I did want to mention it. But I will also to counter that point. It actually always seemed to be Liz having more experiences. Like more physical experiences. Maybe Bill felt a lot more. But Liz definitely saw and heard a lot more. But maybe that's because Bill was dulling his senses. Mm. And then again, that's your argument. Maybe he was dulling his senses because he was afraid. All totally understandable in my Mm -hmm. opinion. And it was Liz who had another totally new, totally bizarre encounter one night in late 1991, early 1992. Bill had taken to sleeping in a different room because he would stay up late painting and didn't want to wake her and the kids coming up like into bed late every night. So the cat... I don't know which one, because remember, they had multiple cats and this mm. is over multiple years. But it had been sleeping under Liz's bed and it was snoring so loud that it had oh. started to wake her up in the night. Yeah, adorable. <laughs> this went on every night for a week before Liz finally lost her patience. <laughs> she popped her head over the side of the bed and looked underneath to push the cat out or do whatever. There was no cat under the bed. What was it? It was too dark to see. So she got up and turned on the light. She was pissed off now. Right. She got down to look under the bed again, the snoring louder still. But when she looked, there was no dozing cat. She searched the whole room, trying to think of anywhere the cat might be. Like, was it hiding in the wardrobe or under the drawers or whatever? Still, she couldn't find any sort of, any sign of the cat. But the snoring kept growing louder. Okay. I mean, sleep apnea. That's how it is. Yep. Cats with sleep apnea. (laughs) Sure. I mean, my mom has sleep apnea. It does get louder. (laughs) Slowly, she started to realize that the snoring couldn't have been coming from a household cat, but something far bigger. She also realized that it wasn't actually coming from from her bedroom, but just outside the window. The fuck? Yeah. Outside the window. She tried to look through the gap in the curtains, but couldn't see anything. So she took a step closer and the snoring got quieter. The fuck? So whatever this was, was looking at her. She gathered her courage and flung the curtains open. But with the bedroom light on, all she could see was the black of night and her reflection. She ran and got Bill. But when they came back in, everything was silent. They couldn't figure it out. The next morning, Bill searched the loft and all over the house with Liz's dad. But they couldn't come up with any reasonable explanation. They were like, maybe it's a bird has like a fucking nest up there or something, you know, like Mm -hmm. cooing throughout the night. Who knows? But the snoring sound continued every night for almost a month. And finally, they caved in and called your man David. And he told them that he had actually experienced the very same phenomenon. Phenomena? He had actually experienced the very same phenomena in his house ever since they burned all of Bill's possessions. Mm. And I think they also heard like a loud hissing noise that night too. Mm -hmm. Like as they were burning shit, like the sun reacted and was like, oh my God. But it was David's son who had been hearing the snoring as well. But a bit of an owl prayer was all they needed. And so David and Bill prayed over the phone. And that night the snoring stopped. Never happened again as far as I know. How convenient. But... The creepiest thing about it was like she had been in that bedroom every night for a week being woken up to this sound. You know what I mean? Yeah. So whatever it was, was watching her every night for a week. Yeah. And it was 
after that, like when that realization hit, like her blood just ran cold. Yeah. Almost everything stopped for the next two years. Right. Like complete lull in all activity, except the electricity was still way higher than average. Um, I think I get into that down here. But the feeling of being watched never left them during this time. They were constantly on edge. Like they, they never faltered. It never let up. But nothing truly happened, I don't think, outside of these feelings. Until one evening in the spring of 1993. Liz was expecting her third child by now. Whoa. And was upstairs with Rebecca and Ben while Bill was in the kitchen meditatively preparing dinner when he noticed something out of the corner of his eye. He wanted so much to ignore it, but he felt compelled to look. This beautiful woman wearing a white gown that, although loose, showed everything. Oh. She walked slowly across the kitchen and into the living room. And said, make me a sandwich. <laughs> what are you making there? That's carrots. <laughs> carrots, is it? Yeah. Oh, carrots. Um, she walked slowly across the kitchen and into the living room. But this was more than just the usual fleeting glimpse, like... She walked, took her time walking through, you know. Right. And Bill believed that she was temptation. Oh. Like an actual embodiment of temptation. With all his might, he managed to walk past the living room without looking in to see if she was still in there, which regardless of how scantily clad this woman was, like how hard would it be not to just peek in, even if you were terrified, like just to see if yeah. it was still there or disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, But anyway, he ran, he walked past, went upstairs and told Liz, who was almost emotionless. She like knew herself that the house wasn't finished with them. It was like everything kind of just clicked into place and they were, they could kind of go, fucking knew it wasn't gone. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. they called David who said it sounded like a spirit of seduction. And then they came to the conclusion that whatever it was, it was trying to come between Bill and Liz. Mm. So over the next few weeks, the nightmares that I'm assuming they always had became more and more lucid and more intense. Bill was having dreams of a half bird, half man statue being. Nice. Yeah, he would just show up watching him. Wouldn't move, wouldn't do anything, but he was watching. Like the Mothman. I mean, the Mothman moved. This thing was... A statue but was alive the feeling when he had these dreams the feeling would stay all day and bring him back in the egyptian theme he said it looked like the ancient god horus nice yeah insert picture here somewhere <laughs> they also had another dream both of them had the same dream where like they would kind of stereotypically like they'd be packing their bags running away from hail fanog they'd drive and drive and drive and then eventually they'd come back around and they'd be back at Hale Fanog and they'd, they would see themselves inside the house trying to get out. Both of them had this dream. Whoa. Mental. But for weeks, this Horus dream persisted until one day he finally saw this thing in like in the flesh. Yeah, yeah. So Bill was overcome with this creepy ass feeling, hairs on end, dizzy and everything. It was like it was like he had vertigo. The feeling was so strong that he literally went to run out of the kitchen. But when he turned to go, the thing was behind him. Just watching, unmoving, just like in the dreams. Like a bird. Kind of like a bird, yeah. He ran upstairs to where Liz was playing with the kids and she knew something was wrong just by the look of them. They went into the next room and started to pray just like they had been shown. Now, I don't think Bill had even told her what he had seen at this point. They just 
instinctively left the kids in the playroom, went next door and started praying. But suddenly Liz looked up and the thing was there in the room. She saw the Birdman. Both of them saw it at the same time. Like these both witnessed this apparition together Mm -hmm. this time. And I think, again, Liz might have been having the same dream about him as well as the other scary dream. So Liz knew what this was from these dreams. They continued to pray and eventually the thing just disappeared in front of them. The kids played on happily unaffected in the other room. After the incident, Bill called David and told him what had happened. And wouldn't you know it, David had seen it too. Interesting. Now, this next bit is a bit of a hard one for me to digest, but... I'm already having ingestion here (laughs) with all this coincidence. Yeah. Hmm. But as Bill and David spoke, this Horace thing showed up again in the hallway for Bill to witness. So I don't know whether David was actually witnessing it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Or whether he just claimed that he had also seen this thing. Either way, it was just staring at Bill, literally a statue, unmoving. And David said some prayers and then in Jesus' name demanded that the thing fuck off. And eventually <laughs> it went up in flames in front of Bill. Interesting. Yeah, spiritual flames, no damage to the house or anything like that. So whether this was like a mental thing that Bill was picturing, I'm unsure. But the book certainly made it seem like it was a very tangible experience. Liz decided with this incident, though, it was time to ta- time to change tactics again. She'd had enough of David. As nice as he was, he wasn't stopping anything. Mm-hmm. And I admire Liz in this moment because Bill reminds me a lot of me. Actually, throughout this story, I, I kind of see like bits of myself in Bill for one reason or another. But Liz was like, Bill was saying, oh, but he's just, he's such a nice friend, you know, like, and we really should be you know, calling them up to see. And Liz was like, yeah, but like, it's not working. Yeah. So we're going elsewhere. And that was that. Oh, yeah. And here's the bit on the electricity, right? So it was strange, but the electricity never actually cut them off, right? Even though they hadn't paid their 750 pound bill. The company weren't backing down on that massive bill, but instead they had installed a pay-as-you-go coin-operated system. And Bill was paying around seven pounds a day, which was still more than like twice the average Mm -hmm. as far as I can uh, make out. But like a well-to-do solicitor had gotten involved to help them, like free of charge and all. He just thought it was an interesting case. And he wanted like not because of ghosts, but because he just thought the power company were fucking up. Mm -hmm. And he he just seems like a nice guy. Uh, Danny Robbins interviewed him and he was very down to earth. And he was like, they were just a regular family. And... He had been to the house. He knew that they weren't taking the piss. Yeah. But it was still strange that the electricity company just kind of went, ah, well, don't worry about that bill. But like, you know, just keep paying every day now. Yeah. So anyway. Mm, fishy. A little bit. It was like they kind of knew something. Right? Yeah. But what the solicitor said was even let's imagine this was ghosts for a second. And that was the reason behind the electricity. They couldn't be seen to accept this as an issue. Because like the next week in the papers, everybody would be writing in saying, oh, well, my bill's fucked because of ghosts. You know what Uh, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, I think, a a really plausible theory. But things in the house were getting worse. I think it's interesting that over the next few months, like nothing crazy happened. But these intense feelings of hatred and being watched just 
kept seeming to worm their way deeper and deeper into both of them. The kids now were starting to seem like they were being affected. But maybe that was just a side effect of Bill and Liz's tension. Mm, yes. Kids can pick up on that. Yeah, big time. So Liz thought it would be a good idea to introduce something positive to the house. They got a little puppy. Mm. Yeah, a little baby Doberman that they called Bo. Oh, How nice. Um, nothing bad happened to the dog, did it? Nothing physically. Oh. Yeah, you know, he was just a very... We'll get into it. But okay. they were also kind of hoping that, like, you know, having a Doberman in the house. I love all kinds of dogs, particularly big dogs. And Dobermans are gorgeous, but they are notorious for being the security dogs. Like, that's how they're known. You know yeah. what I mean? So they were hoping that they would feel a bit safer out in the middle of nowhere as well. Fair. After the Horace incident, Liz got the number of a new exorcist, John Aston of the Christian World Revival. Really desperate at this point, they... I think she would just have called anybody, you know? But not David. Not David, <laughs> respectfully. Um, it took him around three months to prepare for his assault on the house. And Bill and Liz said that in the meantime, poor El Bo was starting to show signs that something in the house was just freaking him out. Hmm. It started off gradually, like I'm assuming they got him pretty young. And initially he was fine. But then it started like little by little. He would start staring at something near the kitchen. Mm. Gradually, the closer it came to the day that the exorcist was supposed to show up, he just became more and more agitated and eventually just downright terrified. He wouldn't leave this one spot on the floor in front of the boiler. Like he would just lie there shaking. Oh, no. Yeah, I assume unless like Bill and Liz came and like took him outside or something. Yeah. But yeah, for the most part, like and he would just continuously stare at this one spot at the kitchen doorway. That's so awful. Yeah, which is where Liz saw the apparition and mm -hmm. uh, Bill actually saw the Horace thing for the first time. So Aston showed up on July 29th, 1993, accompanied by his wife and another couple from the church. I think the other couple were much younger, but the Astons were in their 70s. Okay, so quite elderly for active people, members of society, I suppose. But Bill and Liz had been through this before. Strangers come into the house, walk around, say what they're picking up on, and then they claim to get rid of it. They kind of were half knew what to expect. When they finished looking around though, the Astons took Bill into the living room while the young couple stayed with Liz in the kitchen. Like here, put your keys in this bowl. <laughs> Bill did not like this. Like as soon as they separated them, Bill was on edge. But John Aston just told him to be patient. Wait there. He just kept putting his hand on his like shoulder and stuff, stopping them from getting up. But in the kitchen, he heard the younger couple start to ask Liz questions. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? No, nothing to do with me. <laughs> that's a quote. That that's actually what happened. Nothing to do with me came the response. Only it was not Liz's voice that answered. Whoa. It was a deep, masculine, raspy voice, which then proceeded to start laughing at the couple. Bill ran in and said that Liz's face was completely contorted. It didn't look like her. And the young couple believed that she had what they called spirit eyes. Okay, something like that. Apparently, she had said that she always felt that she could heal people through her eyes. It was like something that she said in passing, but she believed that this was to do with her uh, herbalism, herbalist ways, I suppose. Okay. So basically, she thought she was had a little bit of magic in her, which is totally fine. A lot of people do, I think. But they took this as the devil is in uh, your eyes. Yeah. And at this point, both Liz and Bill blacked out. They don't have any memory of what, the what happened. Yeah, the next thing, they were all having communion wine and bread in the living room. 
there's three couples. Yeah. The fuck? Liz was Were cr- they roofied? Dude, I don't know. Like That's what it sounds like. Or maybe something really was spiritually off here. You know what I mean? I'm I mean, not... or they could have been roofied. Or they maybe that's why her face was contorted. Or she was mid-sneeze. I don't know. <laughs> but it sounds like they were missing, I don't know, anywhere from like 15 to a couple of hours. <gasps> nah, the dude. Time. I don't know. The next thing they knew, they were all having communion wine and bread in the living room. What? Liz was crying, but she was calm. And later she would say that she could see the old woman hovering above them. Okay. She was holding a little boy's hand. And that was the last time she ever saw her. Whoa. Yeah, she said like she was the old woman was up here, mm-hmm. like towards the roof uh-huh. behind her, and then the rest of it was just all black. Maybe this was her like passing on or something. Mm-hmm. Kind of sounded nice, honestly. Yeah, like yeah, maybe yeah. the little boy was her grandson or something. who knows. Now Rebecca and Ben, like years later, said that they can both remember seeing this old lady in the upstairs room as they played in the playroom. Yeah. So I think she was just a presence, like They weren't overly eager to see her, but I don't think she stopped them from playing either. You know what I mean? I just thought it was interesting. But yeah, maybe that night that was it for everybody. I'm not sure. The other activity did continue, though, and the poor old dog hated it. But Bill said that one day he sat down beside the dog, just feeling desperate because he was after bringing the dog into the house. Mm -hmm. And he like just said a prayer with his hand on the dog and... Apparently, he just went to sleep, like completely relaxed and went to sleep. So who knows what the fuck was going on in this like house? Like for good? No, 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 no. Oh. He didn't die. Oh, okay. He just like, it. the, the prayers settled him. Like, okay. You know what I mean? Anyway, by mid-August, they felt they were back to square one. Not even like six weeks later or something. And Bill took out another ad in a local paper. Again, this wasn't the first time they did this, but it was in the hopes that the right person would just happen to see it. And this time they did. Another local artist read the story and it reminded him of another story he had read not long before. Eddie Burks, a retired civil engineer, had been in the paper for ridding Coots Bank of a headless ghost. What? This story, there was surprisingly little information on it, unfortunately. There's a book on our Amazon wish list that (laughs) might have more information, I'm not sure. But Coots Bank is commonly referred to as the Queen's Bank. And it has been in business since 1692 in one form or another. And I think it's been the only bank to handle the royal family's wealth for around the last 200 years. Mm. So it's quite well to do. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sometime in the early 90s, people started to experience weird shit. Like computers being interfered with, phone systems, like shutting down and all. Computers were a relatively new thing. Like at this time, but they had like electricians and technicians and all these professionals in. Nobody could explain it. And then four separate receptionists, apparently, actually saw the spirit of a headless man. Sick. Yeah. Now, I don't know how the Coots' people got Eddie's number. I'm pretty sure he was a... Actually, I am sure he was a member of the Society for Psychical Research, um, along with many other big names throughout the paranormal world. So I'm assuming that... Like that's who they called and then they they would like offer up these cases and Eddie Burks was the man to grab it. This was his like the case that made him, you know what I mean? Because he was in all the papers. So he went on to have like a little TV show. He had a book and stuff like that written as well. But Eddie was actually around 70 at this time 
and I think he had fully dedicated himself to the paranormal after he retired from his civil engineer's job. Now, Eddie's my favorite for multiple reasons, but he wasn't religiously led or anything. And because he wasn't necessarily Christian, Bill and Liz were actually a little bit hesitant to start out with, just because like their previous experience with David Homewood, he had like baptized them and all that. But eventually they just went with it. And finally, a date was made for Eddie's visit. It was March 13th, 1994. Like we've seen before with a lot of these stories, things always seem to intensify before like a savior comes. For the first time, it seemed like whatever was in the house really intended to harm someone. One bleak morning, just a few weeks before Eddie visited, Bill was sitting at the kitchen table just in the depths of despair. Typically, when the activity started up, he would start to lose his work. Like this cycle just continued on and on throughout the six years. So his business had dried up again. The third child was only a few weeks old. And when he looked down, he saw a sharp knife just right next to his arm. Now, initially, he was just mad at Liz for leaving something like this out where the kids could have gotten it. So he just got, gets up and he puts it back. And then his thoughts took a pretty dark turn. And when he looked down again, the knife was back right by his arm, even though he remembered getting up and putting it back. And at this point, Bill realized what was happening. He smacked the thing away and Liz came in to, after hearing the knife bouncing all over the ground. And when she found him, he was just crumpled on the ground in an awful state, crying and begging her to put this knife away because he was so afraid that he wouldn't be strong enough to resist the will of this mysterious entity. So then Eddie shows up with a friend from the Society for Psychical Research. I'm on their mailing list, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford a subscription just yet. Yeah, I will be a member by this time next year. Anyway, they do a clearing and protection ritual, a lot like all of the others before them. They walked around the perimeter, erecting a wall of light. And then they flooded the house with his light. And strangely enough, Eddie said that he had never had a case like this. Again, he was not religiously based, but he felt he had actually connected with what he kept referring to as a Christ figure. Now, I thought that was really cool because he wasn't saying, you know, this is Jesus right now. Mm. Jesus all up in here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But he was saying someone who was presenting themselves as a Christ like figure mm -hmm. is here. And basically he acted as a conduit because the negative thing in this house was something from long, long ago. And this higher being was working through him. Now, he did seem genuinely like, whoa, yeah, yeah. this is nuts. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like I went to the bank and all I did was get rid of your man. But here's where it gets really interesting. They didn't think that even though this thing was a really old, inhuman spirit, they didn't think it was necessarily elemental or an elemental or a pagan god, which a lot of people kind of blame, even though it was from potentially pagan times or Celtic times at, at the very, like, earliest. I don't know the difference, honestly. He believed that this was potentially a tulpa or thought form energy created by pagans or druids or some pre-Christian religion. So nobody's blaming paganism or anything like that, but quite possibly it was because of people creating a curse to hurt other families or tribes or whatever. And I think that's really fucking cool because it's, it's like the way certain religions get a bad name for themselves because of like, you know, oh, these are evil or these are this, these are that. There's good and there's bad. 
he was just saying that a bunch of like shitty priests basically got together and were like, I wonder mm. if we could fuck these guys' cows up or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And this was like what they did. It was bigger than them. So obviously, there's a lot of details here that I'm leaving out. But as Eddie's trance or whatever you want to call it is coming to an end, he starts to speak of a cross that was manifesting nearby. He Like he could see it in his mind's eye, I suppose. And Bill couldn't believe this because he had almost blindly painted a bright white cross only a few weeks previous. And he had it hanging over the mantelpiece in the next room where Eddie hadn't been like. Mm-hmm. Bill spoke of this painting or Bill spoke of painting this almost in a complete frenzy, like something that just flowed out of him. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was also interesting about this is he had had a very similar experience before with this masterpiece that he had painted that like, you know, when he could dedicate the time to it, it just happened. And then when it was finally done, he stood back and he was like, oh, my God, this is awful. Like, it's beautiful, but it's horrific. Like Mm -hmm. the the content, the content. Yeah. Like not like gory or anything, but he believed it represented himself (laughs) and the, the house being like imprisoning him essentially i was just remembering the the horse painting with, <laughs> with the drip bad knee yeah with the chicken drumstick leg <laughs> yeah but anyway i just thought it was like a bookend almost to that really horrible painting that he had painted this white cross that he had named testimony which was fitting that's obviously why mark chadburn named the book testimony is that, am I saying that word right? It feels like it's not yeah, even coming out. Okay. It's fine. You know when you say something so many fucking times? Testimony? Eddie said that this Christ-like figure was connected to the painting and he would be watching over the house and family. With that, Eddie went on his merry way and the next day, the electricity meter finally dropped to an almost normal rate for the first time since they moved in. Huzzah. Six years ago. Still not done. Oh. Over the next few days and weeks, the place still had that eerie feeling. And even though they weren't experiencing anything, they called Eddie and he explained that this was something like a spiritual hangover, Mm. right? Again, we've been talking about this, but he was like, look, that's going to fade over time, but you might have some other visitors. They won't be related to the old activity. They'll just be recently deceased people who are passing through. Because Hale Fanog had been cleared and it was full of this like magic light, light, it was going to act as a sort of beacon beacon or lighthouse and these lonely, confused spirits might show up, but their gateway will be in the back garden. So, like, don't be scared if you see it. They're just passing through. Yeah, like, don't even, I don't even think they could interact with them. It was almost just, anyway, he wasn't lying. For months, Bill and Liz would see all sorts of apparitions. An old lady, an old man, some children, uh, random middle-aged men and women. One was actually someone who looked like they had been in a really bad car wreck. And this, like, this one in particular really upset Liz. I'm pretty sure she's seen like his face hanging to bits and stuff, yeah. you know. So while these apparitions weren't necessarily scary or as scary as the more direct activity, maybe because they were kind of expecting it now, they did leave behind all of the feelings that they carried, like sadness and confusion. Mm. And it got to the point where Bill finally called Eddie more than a year later and was like, here, this shit's really not like settling down you need to come back so eddie was like all right 
bring out big guns. Just let me bring my big dick. Yeah. <laughs> my big dick energy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to drive a raised truck down there. And if that doesn't intimidate them. <laughs> no, so he brought a fella called Montague Keen and our old friend, our buddy in arms, the one, the only, Mr. Morris, the madman, Gross. Of the Enfield haunting. Mm. Remember the moustache man who like lived in the house with them? Oh, the guy who was like... Uh, very, very, oh, very, very posh, very... He, he. The one who was like a kind of like um, a proxy dad. Yeah, kid, a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Morris was really only there to document the session and mm. maybe like to provide some like moral support for Eddie. Show everyone his big dick. Yeah. <laughs> but like where Morris was the like the scientific end of the Society for Psychical Research, Eddie was like the wonderkins at this point. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When Eddie sat down and went into one of his trance-like states, one of the human entities was still there. He was just hanging around in the kitchen. Making I'll, a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. I'll get back to him to in a go. sec. <laughs> I'll get back to him in a second. But this pre-Christian non-human thing was still there. He described it as not having a personality or anything to really grab onto, just a shadowy presence, which I admit sounds very cool, <laughs> but it is like a possible explanation for a lot of paranormal activity. Like if the tulpa thing is a big thing in my head, like just this basically negative energy created by very real people, it doesn't have to be like, it's the ghost of General Walker. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. just this intangible force right mm. that has been created and i thought that was such a good way of describing that anyway Something with uh, no personality yeah I, I feel like there's people <laughs> at work like that yeah to <laughs> 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 so me it's a uh, people that can't name an artist when you ask them what their favorite type of music oh! is You know who you are. Anyway. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Shots fired. fired. <laughs> Once he finally got to the bottom of what he thought this thing was, though, he understood what he had to do next. And this is all in this man's mind. You know what I mean? Or on some ethereal plane, if we're going to go that way. But because this thing had potentially been conjured up by an ancient Celtic tribe, who weren't necessarily bad, but were certainly up to no good. He had to rid it using like a very similar technique to those lads. Mm. So until now, everyone, including himself, had been trying to use Christian based tricks. But this is like hiring a plumber to perform your vasectomy mm. or a doctor to fix your leaky sink. Mm -hmm. They both work on your pipes, but with very different outcomes. Mm -hmm. So anyway, finally... The inner struggle was done and Eddie confirmed that at long last things should go back to normal at Hale Fanog and they did. Oh. Again, the very next day, the electricity dropped down to below average and Bill's work and Bill's work picked up without any advertising or anything, just naturally, like organically grew again. And it was that painting of the horse with the chicken drumstick leg. Could have been. It got it went viral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But either way, they had had enough of Hale Fanog. They were finally in the position to move, and they did. Mm. Today, the current residents of Hale Fanog have a very happy and peaceful life. Whether that's because the whole case was a bunch of baloney, or 
Eddie Burks's efforts really paid off. Who's to say it's the same outcome either way? I'm going with a big capital H haunted for this one. Mm. Do I believe in every single aspect of the story? No. But there was a lovely amount of like key points which stood out to me as being in line with like the less exciting details of other cases very similar to this. Mm. I'm also aware of the fact that Bill liked to drink, had actual occult books, and the family were familiar with a lot of horror movie tropes. Mm. So possibly this could have influenced their experiences of totally explainable mundane things, but it couldn't explain everything. Another reason why Bill blamed himself for the whole thing was the fact that he had actually been involved in a magic ritual with one of the most infamous witches in UK history. Lady Dragon. Is that that twat from... No. From Ghost Adventures. No offense, Lady Dragon. Why'd you call her a twat? She's a twat. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to edit this out so just, <laughs> just in case we ever get to talk with her. I'm like, if you ever see a video and I'm there with Lady Dragon being like, I love your work. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a hypocrite. You're like, I love your tw- work. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, he was... Alex Sanders was the witch, right? Okay. Very much an act of witch during the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Bill lived in a house that Alex was like the maintenance man of or something when he was 18, when mm-hmm. Bill was 18. And basically he was going to do this ritual with the promise of being a successful artist. Mm. Yeah, and he was in there naked and you know having words and all said and he got cold feet he got scared and he left before the ritual ended now thanks to the wonderful danny robbins danny robbins this was verified by another witch who was actually at that ritual oh this witch was alex sanders's wife Mm. maxine maxine sanders is still very much alive and well and she was obviously heavily involved in this stuff back in the day when she was younger. There's lots of very naked pictures of Maxine from back in the day mm-hmm. performing these rituals. <laughs> yeah, no, no, these guys are legit. So, um, Just witching it up. Yeah, like completely witching it up. But there's actually a term now of Alexandrian witchcraft, yes. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. this because of Alex Sanders. Ah, okay. Yeah, look, I'm going to get into more detail about this on the Patreon. Because I had a very, I told Dulce this the other day, like very interesting synchronicity that happens to me. I feel like when I'm really balls deep in research and certain, it doesn't happen with every case or a story that we cover. But every now and then I'll be in the middle of something and I'll get all of these like mad signs that are very, very like mundane, but there's a lot of them. And something happened about this witch as I was like learning about him. But we haven't got time to go into it here. So okay. I'm not trying to like force everybody over there. It's just I thought it would be a cool little chat, more casual chat for Patreon. But anyway, Maxine Sanders was there. She could verify that Bill was actually the only person who ever quit halfway through a ritual. And so he believed that this was one of the reasons why he had been cursed. Mm. Yes. Anyway, another theory is the trapped human spirit. Okay. So as far as I can remember, everybody who visited Hale Fanog, like medium and spiritual wise, kept talking about the old woman, uh, two other human spirits, two male spirits and the inhuman spirit. Now, I will also say that people, these stories had been in the newspapers. It's not like people were hiding these things. 
So they could have picked up on this from outside sources. We don't know. Either way, when Eddie came back, he went deeper into the story. And from his version of the story, this poor chap who was stuck in the kitchen at this point, his story goes back to Friday, the 17th of November, 1848. The body of a farm worker was found on a neighboring farm. He had been beaten with an axe, which was later found nearby covered in blood. Again, this is something I'll be going more into depth over on Patreon. But there was all sorts of conspiracy theories in regards to the motive behind the murder. Mm. The murder has been verified thanks to the witch farm. Um, And I actually have the news article from the newspaper in 1848 that correlates to this. Anyway, the story, according to Eddie, who supposedly got it straight from the source, was that the murderer, James Griffiths, had killed Thomas Edwards after Thomas had seen some sort of secret ritual going on. Witchcraft? Satanisms? Who knows? Probably just a circle of women reading books. Or dudes sucking dick? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Griffith was told if he killed Thomas, he would be whisked away and the whole thing would remain just an unsolved mystery. But they were friends, and so it was kind of his responsibility to take care of this guy, who was possibly a loudmouth in the village. Regardless, though, he went and he murdered this guy, and then the police came and caught him, and nobody stood up for him. And up until the day he was hung, like literally, I think according to Eddie, like even with the rope around his neck, this young fella thought, no, 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 they're going to, at any minute, they're going to say, oh, no, don't worry, you got the wrong guy. Nobody spoke up. And so it was only as he was hung, he realized that he had done the wrong thing. So, uh, yeah, I think that's about as much of the witch farm as I can milk out of this. I will say I have some of Bill's artwork. I felt like such a creep. I actually Facebook stalked this entire family. Whoa. Yeah. And like, I, so I'm not going to share like a lot of his art. I'm going to share some of the stuff that I found on like Danny Robbins's Twitter, stuff mm-hmm. that has already been shared. It's very easy to find their Facebooks. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying like, if you do, don't go like commenting on stuff. Bill actually passed away on the 12th of September, 2016. Yeah. But I just thought it was really nice that you, you can go and look at his art and appreciate it definitely weird i would love to have some in the house i think Ah. that'd be very cool his daughter is also um what's her name rebecca she's the same age as me i think Mm -hmm. uh she's also an artist shout out rebecca shout out rebecca if you ever see this let us know we'd love a chat um and yeah liz is still very active i mean like liz rebecca and ben were all on the witch farm Mm. uh giving their opinions and stuff and uh yeah I think that's it. So again, sorry for the delay and I'm not trying to force everyone over to Patreon or anything like that. I just wanted to have more casual little small episodes on there and this seemed like a good thing to do for that. Um, Yeah, like every now and then I'll get these little nuggets of cool information that won't fit into a regular episode. So I'm going to try and do that more frequently on Patreon in the future. For now, I implore everyone to listen to The Witch Farm by Danny Robbins. Danny Robbins. And if you want to read the book, it's called Testimony. It's in my man purse, my satchel over there. Um, I'm going to get you a real ma- uh, satchel bag, messenger bag. No, I actually like that one. It fits my oh. iPad now perfectly. But it is a purse. It's a purse. I have wet ones in there. 
I have, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I have Vaseline. I have dental floss. Practical uh, things. A little small spray, you know, just in case again. Why don't you put your travel deodorant in there? It was. It just takes up too much room. Mm. And I never forget to put on deodorant. So watch tomorrow. I'll forget. <laughs> um, but yeah. And once again, thank you, Jody, for buying the book from our Amazon wish list and having it chipped to our house. Made Jody. it very convenient. Jody. 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 <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that's it. Thank you all very much for your patience. We'll be back next week with something totally different. You're going to do it. It's going to hit me in the face. Okay. Fine. <laughs> uh, very, uh, very chilled out. So I also scoured Danny Robbins' Twitter. So any of the images or a lot of the images that I have are thanks to the boys over at the BBC. Yeah. Okay. That's it. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.